Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, grab your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you need a Bible under a seat close by, you can find a black copy of the God's Word under your seat. Uh, grab it, turn to the table of contents, find this book with a really long name, 1 Thessalonians, and join us there in chapter 4 this morning. Um, and as you turn there, I want to glance up to the screen here. I want to see if we can finish this statement Jesus made together. But Jesus said this. He said, by this, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you, if you love one another. By this, all the world will know that you are indeed my disciples if you love one another. The, the distinguishing mark, the determining factor, Jesus said, of his followers demonstrating to the world that they in fact were followers of him, he could have finished that sentence with a lot of different things. By this, all the world will know that you're my disciples when people walk into church on Sunday and you guys are just rocking it out and, and showing people that, that this is one of the coolest things that they could be at all. And that's not what he said. By this, all the world will know that you're my disciples if you fill in the blank with a lot of different things. And Jesus chose this. By this, everyone will know that you're following me by how this group of people right here are loving each other. Eight-year-old kids get pulled from their home, placed into the foster care system. They get matched with a Christian family. All of a sudden, they find themselves sitting around a dinner table with, with Jesus followers for the first time. Found themselves in a home with a bedtime routine of prayer together, of sharing kind of the highs and the lows of the day, of reading the Jesus storybook Bible. And though an eight, seven, six, seven, eight-year-old can't articulate it, they're like, something is radically different about this place. 16-year-old comes over for sleepovers at a friend's house, and he's there once a month. The home he's been nurtured and brought up in is, is not a home of Jesus followers, and yet he finds himself multiple times a month, or every other week, uh, staying the night at this family's house who deeply loves Jesus. And, and though the 16-year-old, he can't really put his finger on what it is, he, he knows there's this love that happens around the dining room table and in the living room. He knows that even though his buddy has a typical 16-year-old, that there's some sort of love that happens between his parents and him, and he can't put his finger on it, but he's trying so desperately to figure out what is different about this place. Guy in the corporate world, He's noticed this group of guys and they get together on Wednesdays over lunch and they open up these weird looking leather, um, leather books with their names on the front of them. And they study this thing, but it's not the book that they've been studying. It's the way that they live with each other all the rest of the week. And he's like, what is up with these people? It's almost like they're family. By this the whole world will know that we, in fact, follow this master savior named Jesus by how we love each other. 
And we've been walking kind of just passage by passage through this letter that Paul wrote to a group of Jesus followers in a city called Thessalonica. And we, we said last week, kind of the first three chapters of this, this letter have, have all been just heap, Paul heaping encouragement. This is such a warm letter Paul wrote to these Jesus followers. And he's been heaping encouragement upon encouragement upon encouragement. And now when he gets to chapter four, things get deeply practical. And we all know if you're here last week, they got deeply practical pretty quickly, didn't they, huh? I mean, he jumped right in. This is God's will for your life, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And we saw right there in verses one through eight, uh, Paul unpacking for us God's greatest passion, God's will for our life, that we would be people seeking absolute purity, abstaining from sexual immorality. And uh, but before we go on to where Paul goes today, can I just call a timeout? And I just want to say thank you. Um, <laughs> throughout the short history of our church, like I'll run into buddies and, who don't come to our church, and they'll be like, you preached on that? You preached that? You remember like in the whole David series, like we preached on David's son and David's daughter. They're like, you preached that? And I'm like, it's in the word. Like God's given us one clear command, preach the, and like preach the whole counsel of it. And like, I just got like, total transparency. Like when I go into Sundays like that, there's a little fear and trepidation to go like, what emails are going to be sitting in my inbox come Monday morning? Because a, a topic like we preached on last week, it not only has to be preached on, but it has to be preached on in a very certain way. What, what God's word handles delicately needs to be handled delicately from the pulpit too. And I just want to commend you that you are a pastor's absolute dream to preach to. Not once in the weeks following a very difficult passage has there been any question, but only a spirit of preach the word. And if you ever stop preaching the word, I'm hunting you down and I'm coming for you, but just keep preaching. I just want to thank you for your being people committed to God's word, who the harder the subject that God's word brings up, the more you, you guys are all like sick and twisted people, you know, you're like, come on. Let's go, more of it. And I just want to say thank you so much for your commitment to the word of God as people. Time in, back to what, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Time in, you can clap for that, yeah. That speaks to you all. Time in, back to where, where Paul's going today. And so he addresses this, God, this is God's will for your life. You're, you're, you're abstaining from sexual immorality. But now where he goes next, verses nine through 12 that we're gonna see today, he, he addresses this issue of love amongst believers. And so while a message like last week is deeply practical and deeply practical on a personal level, and yes, um, it, it affects us corporately. If we're not applying what we studied last week personally, it's gonna spill out and affect us corporately. But a passage like this week is a deeply practical, but it's a corporate practical application. This is something collectively we must be seeking. This is something collectively we must be seeking, not only in the confines of this room right here, of our local church, but this has to spill out into how we're living with, with Jesus followers who don't attend our church here. Paul is going to get to the issue of what he calls brotherly love, of how we together 
are to look like family. And then on the surface, it's going to appear like Paul's going to hit like four different topics here. It's almost like he's just going to randomly fire four random commands for the Christian life. What I think we're actually going to find in the passage is these aren't four random commands for our life. This is one overarching command he gives us to love each other, followed up by three often very overlooked ways of how we can extend love for each other. Today's passage, church, is all about how we grow in our love for each other. And before we jump in, let me pray for our time. Father, I pray right now. Lord, all of us in here, we know our own hearts. I'm a selfish man. Most often in life, I love me above everything else. And yet, Lord, what we see in your word is that you've called your followers into a radical dying to ourselves serving others, pouring ourselves out on love for this family of Jesus followers. So Father, I pray right now, God, would your spirit make the words that we study more than just text on a page. But Lord, we claim this promise that your word is living and active, Lord, that it will jump off the page right into our heart. And Lord, there's nothing that can convict our heart like your word. And Lord, as it convicts our heart, as it leads us and guides us, God, that it's gonna change the way we live with each other this week. Lord, we want to do everything that we do in this life out of an overflow of love. And so God, would you work that in our midst this morning as we study your word? And I pray these things now in Jesus' name, amen. Jump with me, verse 9, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul continues this, these practical exhortations for these Jesus followers, and he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And now this verse right here, we're going to spend some time unpacking because there's a lot there, but it also sets the stage for where he goes in the rest of the paragraph here. But he's very clear on the topic he's addressing right off of the bat. Now concerning, what's he say? Now concerning what? Now concerning brotherly love. A Greek word, Philadelphios here, that should sound familiar to us, right? We have an American city, Philadelphia. Philadelphia is known as the city of And if you've ever been there, you can see that it's quite the opposite of that, right? (laughs) The city of brotherly love. Paul is talking about this familial love that should happen amongst Jesus followers. Get this now. We are not just people who share an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. We are not just people who attend the same institution by the label of a church. If you're in a small group, you're not just people who share two hours together just to study God's word and then go off and live separated from each other the rest of the week. Church, get it. We're fam. Like it or not, we're fam. 
And if you've grown up in Christian circles and you've spoken Christianese your whole life, you know what I'm talking about? Things Christians say to each other that non-Christians like, they're like, what are you guys saying right now? We're like, we don't know. We've just said it our whole life, right? But we use this expression all the time, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ. And you know, if you've grown up in Christian circles, that, that picture just gets watered down because it's so familiar to us. We are brothers and we are sisters. Well, I'm not, but some of you are. We're family. And he says, now concerning this topic of brotherly love, Philadelphia, this familial love that's to happen amongst a group of Jesus followers, then he says something really interesting. You have no need for anyone to write to you about this. For you yourselves have been what? What's it say? You've been taught by God how to love one another. No, this is so important for us. God himself is the greatest tutor for how his people are to love each other. How how is this so? Pre-Jesus, before we know Jesus, we love ourselves. We love us. Pre-Jesus in Brock Graham's life, Brock Graham thought he was the, the, the man and he loved only himself. And, and now, now, some of you here, if you're, if you're pre-Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're here because someone wants you here, they brought you here, and you're like, I don't think that, I, I care about other people, I, I know you do. You do care about other people, but A, number one, in, the life, in our lives, pre-Jesus is often us, we love ourselves. What happens then, Jesus Christ radically reveals to us our need for a Savior, We turn from our sin. We embrace Jesus Christ through faith. We are saved by the grace of him alone. And something radically begins to transform in our heart. People that just used to annoy the fire out of us. Oh, you got them. You got them. People that... People that we just used to not be able to stand. We're like, what is this weird emotion that I now feel toward? It's this thing called love. Why am I serving these people that I don't even like? It's this thing called love. This is why um, from your past, somewhere in your past, there's been like the dude who's like the vilest, harshest, just meanest guy on the face of the planet. I mean, you can get this guy to crack a smile. You can get this guy to look, look, look a second time at you to serve you in any way. You heard he comes to know the Lord. Uh, years down the road, you run into him, and here's this guy, mean old vile, harsh guy. He's walking up to you with a smile and a hug, and you're like, who are you, and what did you do with the guy you used to know? Jesus Christ has radically transformed his heart. When we come to know Jesus, we get the fruit, we get the Spirit of God, and the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the very first thing listed? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, what Paul's saying here, you brand new, fresh Thessalonian believers, um, this whole deal of you guys loving each other like family, I, I don't even really need to write to you about this because when the Spirit of God came into your life, you guys started living like this. God's Spirit is the greatest tutor for us to love other people. And here's why. Because when we are swimming in the ocean of God's love towards us, it always will flow out and pour onto others. 
We cannot drink in the immense love of God without it coming right back out of us to other people. Can I get an amen to that? And so if you're like, I need to grow in my love for people, understand something. Your love for other people is a byproduct of you swimming in the ocean of God's love towards you. Go get alone with him and figure out how much your heavenly father loves you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God. His spirit is teaching you how to do this, how to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the, here it is, to all the brothers throughout Thessalonica. Is that what it says? What's it say in your Bible? Throughout Macedonia. He goes, this love that you guys share for each other, you living like family, not only is it evident in how you're living in your thing going on right there in your city, but the love that you guys have for the other pieces of the family, it's spreading. Macedonia was the region that Thessalonica was in. It's spreading across the region. Your love for the believers meeting in the church at Philippi. Your love for the believers meeting in the church in Berea. He's like, you guys get this. This is about way more than your own thing and you guys loving each other here. This love must permeate and radiate out to other believers across the region and across the world. Let that sink in deeply. Because church... I think we are doing a fantastic job at this loving each other like family thing. I've been standing places when one part of our family here went like, yeah, I got to go pick up a lawnmower. And with, 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 within an hour, another family member here has delivered a lawnmower to the front door. We've watched small groups rally together and meet a critical and crucial uh, repair need in a home that had to happen. We've watched, people, uh, we've watched people say, oh, you're between houses. You don't know where you're going to live. Just move in with us. Just move in here. We've watched people, oh, you need a car, boom, here you go. I'm so blown away by the love that's happening between this family right here. And now I want us to get something that, that, that this love that we're to have for Jesus followers, it, it not only has to happen here in our own little local church context, but, but this love for Jesus followers, it spreads out of here. How are we, how are we loving our believers, fellow believers across the world? I remember I'm in Africa for like the very first time. And one of the first things we did with the Africans, we got together and we worshiped. And it was the first time it really sank in. Your family. I don't even know what you're singing right now, but your family. We don't look like each other at all. We don't even speak the same language, but you and I are brothers. And how can I pour out love for you? Uh, this has to extend to our love for believers across the world. This has to extend for love for the believers across the country. But th most practically and how it can most play out in our life, this love that we see radiating out from their own church across the region, let's let that radi radiate out of this place across our region right here. Because there are a lot of believers and followers of Jesus Christ on the south side, am I right? 
And there are other amazing churches of Jesus Christ on the south side. Can I get an amen to that? When we came and planted a church here just over a year and a half ago, we, we didn't do the research and go, oh, you know what? Ain't no one doing a good work down there. We better go to the south side of Indy. One of the first questions I asked Harvest when they called about a group of people forming on the south side, I'm like, oh, question, there are a lot of really, really good churches with a lot of really, really solid Christians on there. Why would we go plant another church there? And they showed us the need to reach so many people still left on the south side. But get this, we're not an isolated family doing our own thing. We are part of a bigger family trying to reach the south side of Indianapolis. For who? For Jesus Christ. And we need to pray for the flourishing of the church of Jesus Christ on the south side. This is not, who cares what name's on the side of the building? Who cares who gets credit for any of this? Come on, I'm preaching now, are you with me? This is a Jesus thing. This is a family thing. And we are part of this awesome South Side of Indy family. And we need to pray for the flourishing and for the good and for the greater. When, when God is doing a work in another church, we better be celebrating that here at Harvest. And when God's doing a special work in, 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 in a group of believers' life who don't share the same church name as we do, we better be celebrating that because the good of the family is flourishing. And this is what we see here. You're for the good of the greater family. This is a beyond your thing. And now look at how he ends verse 10. He says, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Hold on, time out. Didn't he just say at the beginning of the verse, like, we don't even need to write to you about this. You guys are rocking this thing. And he unpacks all of this. And then at the end, he goes, but listen, you guys are rocking at this thing. You're loving each other. You look like a family. Good job. Now do this. Do it even more and more. Do it more and more. Why is that? Because none of us can walk in our house at the end of the day and go, I'm, I'm there. I've done it. I perfectly love people. And if you think you've arrived, uh, test that out the next time you go to the grocery store. What do you mean go to the grocery store? Um, you pull your cart down one aisle, and there at the end of the aisle is someone you had past beef with or you haven't settled something with, and you're like, I think I'll get bread later. <laughs> Y'all know you've aisle dodged people. You know you have. You're like, have you? No, I'm a pastor. We're all, we're all this week going to be awkwardly running into each other at the store, going out of our way. Hi, I see you. It's good to see you. No beef here. We're good. Like we, he's like, do this more and more. You never arrive at this thing. You never get to the place where you're like, I love people. Completely, purely, no false motives, none of it. Here's the first thing, and everything else from the rest of this passage flows out of this first thing right here. We are to increasingly grow in our love for each other. May it increase and may it abound in our family right here. Would there be a radical generosity among us that the rest of the world looks on and goes, that, that seems a bit extreme. Why'd you give them your car? And we're like, it doesn't feel extreme. They're, they're, bro they're like brothers. They are brothers. 
And if like a brother needed something, I just, I just gave it to him. Would this be this family love that when one part of us hurts, we all hurt with them? And when one part of our family rejoices, we're all rejoicing with them. We're not looking on and like, well, why did God bless them for that? Why couldn't I have that? It's like, no, we're rejoicing. We're family. A win for one of us is a win for all of us. And there's no way this can happen in in the way that God intended it to be. When we're gathered as hundreds of people on a Sunday morning, it can happen here, but this happens in greater, uh, with greater fervency when we gather together as small groups of believers, sitting in a living room, in a circle, doing life together, intimately knowing each other. I can't even explain to you what happened in our small group Monday night with a group of men sitting around our patio table. When I just walked out of that night, like these, these are my brothers. We are in war together. There is nothing here that is hidden. Full transparency, just boom, there it is, all out on the open. Because we're family. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more, increasingly grow in your love for each other. Now look where he goes in verse 11, and, and don't lose me here, hang with me here. We urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Okay, time out. Early on in the week when I'm studying this passage, I mean, the the, the title of this message was almost like four random commands from Paul. It looks on the surface like Paul is telling us, okay, love one another deeply, live quietly, mind your own business, and work hard with, to provide for your needs. And he is telling us all of those things. But they're not, they're not four different buckets. Where he's like, I'm talking about this, and now I'm going to jump over here and talk about this, and now I'm going to jump over here and talk about this. No, um, we're going to go to the classroom for a second. Can we go to the classroom for a second? Yeah? Say, well, we're going anyway. I don't care. Okay? When we study a passage of Scripture... How we understand the meaning of that passage comes from us understanding two things. The meaning of the words in the passage, right? Can't understand what Paul's saying unless we understand the words he's using to say it. But then here's something we often lose sight of. We also need to understand the structure in which the words are written, so words give us meaning, and then how words connect to each other give us the meaning as well. We agree with that? What we have here, like as I got deeper into the study, of this, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is all connected. When Paul transitions from the command to love one another, this is something, let's call it, let's call it kind of in Greek, um, it's an appeal structure. You're like, whoop de doo an appeal structure. Now, hold on, here's what this means. Paul is appealing to them on how they can love each other. 
What he says flowing out of verse 9 and 10 and flowing into verse 11 is, now here's how I want to encourage specifically you believers on how you can love one another like family. And the very first how he gives us is like a super often overlooked way that we can love each other as a group of Christians. He says this, aspire to live quietly. So we are to increasingly grow in our love for each other. First one is this, by living a quiet life. What in the world does it mean to live a quiet life? No, I'm serious. I'm like asking you. I have no idea. And I think if we're totally honest with the text, no one knows with with exact specificity what Paul is getting at here when he says to live a quiet life. Can I vent? Can I vent for a second? Can your pastor vent? Are you cool with that? You want to know what my one of my greatest pet peeves is? You like pick up a, a commentary at the end of the week. You're like, tell me, someone, please tell me, what's it mean to live a quiet life? And like page after page, it's like some think it's this, and some think it's this. Like pages. I'm like sitting there reading pages of commentaries, and I know I'm a pastor now, but commentaries aren't the most riveting read of the week. Okay. And like you get pages and pages and pages and pages into it. And then there's one little sentence at the end of the chapter that says, but no one can really be sure about any of this. That's when I take the commentary and just punt it out. I'm like, we can't be sure with specificity what Paul means when he tells us to live a quiet life. But Paul speaks to this issue often. We can start to piece together some ideas of what Paul's getting at when he tells believers to live a quiet life. When you see that, because Paul speaks a lot to this. All of this is building. So all of this flows out of this command to love one another, but all of this is building to how he ends the passage here. Work hard with your hands. Get a job. And what he's saying is, guys, there's something that's God honoring about getting up and going to work and keeping your mouth shut, and working hard, and not trying to draw all this attention to yourself, not making a stink about every little thing that comes up, and then going home, and then loving your family, and then doing bedtime routine with your kids, and then going to bed and getting up and doing it all over again. Do you think your life is boring? Does your life feel absolutely routine? Do you feel like you're totally average? Well, listen, let me encourage you. God has a lot of really cool things to say about our awesomely boring average and routine lives. Do you think think like what you do in a day, it doesn't matter. Like how is this spiritual at all? Understand something. When average people get up and roll up their average sleeves and drive to their average jobs and their average cars and then go home back home to their average houses with their totally average families and yet they do this with this quiet strength that just fades to the background and puts the spotlight on Jesus Christ, Our, our heavenly father is glorified in that. So sometimes life is boring and it's routine and we're all a bunch of average Joes. Guess what? It's not heaven yet. Heaven's coming and that's not going to be boring or average or routine, but there's just some things in life where we get up and we roll up our sleeves and we do our job and we're quiet in the process and we go spotlight Jesus. 
And he uses that in the lives of believers so powerfully. But I also think as Paul continues this verse here, he helps us understand a little more what it means to live a quiet life. So aspire to live a quietly and then to mind your own affairs. Someone translate that for me. What's he saying? Come on, be bold. Mind your own business. We increasingly grow in our love for each other by living a quiet life, by minding our own business. Now, I I even said that with a tone that Paul wasn't saying that with. Did you catch that? Often when we say this whole mind your own business thing, we say it with this biting tone. Oh, really? Really? Is that what you have to say? Well, here, I have something to say for you. Mind your own business. It's like, oh, thank you. Are we in fifth grade on recess right now, you know? Now, let's understand, first off, what this doesn't mean. Um, God has called his family to call each other out on sin when sin is present. I know none of y'all want to amen that, right? In the Baptist churches I grew up in, there would have been some old guy in the back, amen. <laughs> amen. It's like, and you enjoy doing it a little too much, okay? <laughs> but there is this aspect where we are our brother's keeper, Because we love each other, we're not just going to sit idly by and let people walk down paths of sin that are going to destroy their life. What is Paul getting at when he tells it? Now, listen, live a quiet life, mind your own affairs. He's saying, don't get pulled into the gossip that happens. Don't get pulled into concerns of other people's lives that don't directly concern you. Because we all know this, that what Proverbs talks about gossip just being like delicious morsels that we just like want. Like, oh, I know something now that other people don't know. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Live quietly. Mind your own business. Work hard with your hands. Don't like go around quitting your jobs and just going from house to house and just talking about all the stuff that's going on in other people's lives. And Christians... If you're here and you're a non-Christian, you're like, you're going to want to amen this. We can be notoriously bad about this. Here are three Christian conversation starters I want us to watch out for. Three Christian conversation starters to watch out for. And understand, this all has to do with the motive, okay? Number one is this. Hey, can I share this about DJ with you so you can just be in prayer for this? I just, I just I'm, something's heavy on my heart. I just want to share it with you so that together, because we love him, right? Let's be praying for him in this. Understand, sometimes the motive of that can be good and God honoring. Uh, many times the motive of that is I know something that I really just want to tell you. And so let me cloak this in, in, in spiritual talk. Another one is this. Um, hey, I, I don't know if you know this or not, but did you hear that so-and-so let their kid go see that movie. Did you, did you, I, I know this is probably none of my business. Yeah, you're right. So don't say anymore. But did you hear that so-and-so? Like, I just encourage the family here. And, and this isn't some passive aggressive way for your pastor to deal with an issue right now. I promise. I mean that. I'm not addressing an issue here in our church. But what I am is trying to encourage us practically from what I think the text is saying. When someone says that, did you hear that so-and-so? Just maybe, hold on, is this something I should know? Is this something I need to know? 
That last one. Hey, um, I'm just really concerned about so-and-so. I'm just really burdened for their heart. Now, understand, all of this stems from what the motive of us saying these things are. All I'm saying is that I've sat across a lot of coffee tables before and conversations have started like this. Sometimes we've just walked into talking about people and things we really don't need to be talking about. We have a rule on our staff, um, and the, it's one of our staff codes, and it, goes, and it says this, um, we talk to each other and not about each other. So if an issue arises or I got conflict with someone else, I'm not popping into DJ's office to talk about Pastor Corey. Now, when I start going down that road, DJ better call a timeout and go, hold on, hold on. Should we just pull Corey into this right now? Or have you talked to Corey about this? Because why don't you go talk to him about this and then we can maybe all three together. But we talk to each other. In a family, you talk to each other, not about each other. But he says, I got to wrap this up. Aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs. And then here it is. It all builds to this right here. And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. We love each other when we live quietly, when we mind our own business. And the last one is this, when we're working to provide for our needs. Okay. In the, book of, in the books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Paul will address this issue of working multiple times. He will bring this up. Here's, here's what most scholars think is going on because Paul, when he writes to the Thessalonians, he's writing so much about the return of Christ. These people, their faith was so fervent, they were eyes fixed on the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, next week, where this passage goes is talking about the return of Christ, talking about the rapture. You don't want to miss next Sunday, y'all, all right? What, what was happening is the Thessalonians were so focused that, hey, Jesus is coming back. And it could be today. It could be tomorrow. I'm quitting my job. I'm going to dig trenches today if Jesus could come back today. I'm not, I'm not going to work in the market shop if Jesus could come back today. So, so it seems that there's this issue going on in the Thessalonian church. He addresses it in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians of Christians the not working, quitting their jobs, and then taking advantage of these other Jesus followers' generosity. And like parasites, just sucking and funneling off from the family. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Love one another by working to provide for your own needs. Now hear this. We're family. When one of us gets in trouble, we're called to help each other. We're called to provide for each other. He goes, yeah, love each other by if you are able, provide for your own needs and then provide for the needs that's going on in the family. But if you're able and you ain't working and like a parasite, you're just sucking off the generosity of the family, that does not bring honor to God. And it's on that note, let me just gently say, if you're 30 years old, playing Halo in your parents' basement, millennials, I'm sorry to say, that's all too familiar in our generation. It's time to get a job. 
It's time to walk upstairs, see the sunlight for the first time in three months, and go, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry, I'm not sucking off you anymore. If you're able and you're not working, it's a spiritual issue. If you're able and you're not working and you're just leeching off the generosity of people who are super generous, it is a spiritual issue. And now hear this, no condemnation for those of you right now. Please hear this, please hear this. Who through no fault of your own or find yourselves in a situation in life right now where you're not working and yet you are working because you're spending 40 to 50 hours a week searching for a job. You are honoring the Lord in that. Hear me. This is not for you. And no, no condemnation for those who in this room right now, not able to work. This is where the body of Christ steps up as family and we care for each other. But if you are able and you are not and you are leeching, this is a spiritual issue because here's the deal. Work is a spiritual issue. Work was given pre-fall. God placed them in the garden and they said, and he said, work it. Work is a good thing. And if you are working some dead-end boring job that you can't stand and you think, what in the world does this have to do with anything that is spiritual? We can have a tendency to compartmentalize our lives and do spiritual churchy things and to work things. God does not have those compartments. Your work is spiritual. My entire life, my daddy's hopped up into an 18-wheeler. And here he comes rolling down I-65 from Michigan. And then when I was in like fourth grade, he went off. He started a business on his own and one trucks and two trucks and more and more trucks. And we're like, dad, get out of the truck. Run the company. You know, like you got, we can't get the guy out of the truck. And yet there's something so sweet about that. And I believe when my dad's rolling down I-65, it's what God created him to do. And it's, lift, it's, it's being lifted up before the Lord as this aroma of worship going, yes, this is what I called you to do. This is an act of worship before me. Our work done as unto the Lord and with a motive to pro go back and provide for our family and provide for people with needs is an awesome sacrifice of worship to the Lord. And so farmers go farm to the glory of God. And corporate folks go back into the office tomorrow for the glory of God. And teachers go teach your heart out to the glory of God. And moms get up tomorrow and love your kids to the glory of God. Because it's an awesome offering of worship back up to them. Everything about today summarized in this. Let all that you do be done in love. And how we live a quiet life with each other. <laughs> Just our ho-hum days and our ho-hum lives. Fading to the background, spotlight on Jesus. Motivated by love for the family. 
and how we seek to mind our own business and not get caught up in the gossip and, 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 and all the other stuff that we don't need to in that we love our family. And when we get up, when the alarm clock goes off and we get up from our beds and we get ready and we go to work another day, we do so to provide for the needs of our family and to provide for the needs of this family. And in that, all that we do is motivated by love. But as we said at the outset, we can't produce love for each other apart from swimming in the ocean of the Father's love for us. And so as we just close our time today, if you would just bow your heads right now, right where you're at, the worship team's going to come join us here. But as we close today, Hear this. You are deeply loved by your heavenly father. I'm in a season this last month, just a personal stretch for me where I'm finding it very difficult in certain at certain times to, to extend love towards others. And just one of these mornings this past week, I'm like, Lord, why am I struggling to love people? Why are why am I so annoyed so quickly? Why am I so short with my wife? Why, why does it seem I'm so unloving in what is flowing out of me? And the Lord's like, you need a reminder of how much I love you. And there he took me back to Christianity 101, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. That he, how, how do, God, how do I know you love me? How do I know that you love me? That he gave his only son. I look at my little boys, would I give them? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Bask in the love of your heavenly father right now. when you're swimming in that love your love towards other will just flow out of your heart that's drowning in the love of your father stand with me as I pray for us father God I pray for this family right here God I ask right now would all that we do be done in love by this, all the world will look on this family right here and know that we follow you by how we love each other. God, I pray for those of us who fill this room, who life seems so boring, so routine, so whatever. Um, Lord, would you help us to see that living quiet lives and minding our own business and just going hard, working hard to provide for the needs of our family and our spiritual family, Lord, is, it's great worship before you and is done motivated by love. Lord, light our heart on fire for that. Lord, make us a people deeply, deeply in love with each other. And I pray these things now. In Jesus' name.